This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Roger. We back! Like Adam Lalana. Yeah, Yana. You love that Yana gag. Well, it's just, I'm so confused. When you look at the Men in Blazers script, not that we have a script, it's all off the cuff, Rog, but when you look at the Men in Blazers script. For the television show. For the television show, it is full of, it is so parenthesized for how we pronounce foreign players' names in the in the league. And it's something which I actually applaud NBC, how accurately they try to, how hard they work to get the pronunciation of international players right in the Matip. Premier League. But Urente, it took us quite a long time to understand the... Double you know, L. The double L, the soft. It's not a double L. It's a Y. Well, it's a Y, whatever it is. And so, but now it's, it's very confusing for English players with foreign-sounding names because Lalana, almost certainly Yayana, now seems to make sense but then even when you learn how to pronounce it cr- correctly then there seems to be a press conference inevitably a few weeks later in which somebody says no sorry you've been pronouncing you've it been wrong all the broad, time you've been pronouncing broad wrong yeah it's a hard g broad good <laughs> yeah. it's a member of the burhalter family it's just, yeah. <laughs> they're not three g's they're silent wise <laughs> yay is that his name yay. his name is yay 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 burhalter oh the player i have the biggest problem with is lamella oh yamea who like I, it took me, it's taken me years, and I do go through a thought process. I know I get this wrong as I'm approaching it like yeah. a horse approaching a jump in a You say uh, lamella in a sometimes. I always say, like French, la, la, la mella. Yeah, yeah, I run it together. And I always, it's not that, the honey. not that I don't remember, but I actively choose the wrong one. It drives yeah. Jada. And then yesterday in the show, I had to unleash. Yeah. Oh, my Vichai Seawater Anaproba. Yeah. How did you learn that? What? Do you have some sort of phonetic thing that you've, or guide? By phonetic thing, do you mean tramp stamp? Because <laughs> I do. I do. How do you read your own tramp stamp? You're not uh, that flexible. Oh, you'd be surprised. The Pilates. <laughs> oh, you go the other way. The Pilates. You go down through your legs. All I can say, <laughs> it's working. Pilates day tomorrow to culminate yeah. what has been a week of weeks for us. What yeah. a international break, which is normally a plodding, just Deadpool of just respite and self-loathing. Yeah. But we have been at it, hammer and tongs. All I can say is, producer J-Dubs and I, we've seen a lot of airport carpet this week. You do. You love an airport carpet. I do. I mean, you get off a plane, you're knackered. You can't quite remember what city you're in, who you're about to interview. You charge off the plane. And then you just greeted the first thing that just, it's almost like smelling salts that just reinvigorates you and gives you life. The airport carpet that meets you at the bottom of the jetway. Wow, Portland. Yeah. Or we can say the stunning pattern that just hugs you upon disembarking yeah. is top three airport carpet all time. I would love, I'm saying this now, I would love a blazer made out of Portland airport carpet. I, I genuinely, that would be... That's is that my, a quid pro quo, Rog? Like, what's a, it is a... Yeah, yeah sure, I'll say it. <laughs> okay, got it. Get over it. It is a quid pro quo. We're in Portland to shoot stuff with Emily Sonnet. What? A human being. And then on to San Francisco. Yeah. Crap airport carpet. To record one of our all-time great television specials with a remarkable human being, Steve Kerr, a hero of mine as a player. And we got to sit down, talk about life, death, Love and fear. The special will air on November the 10th. Can't stop, won't stop, because you and I, Davo, mm-hmm. we're off to Austin, Texas this weekend. Oh, that's right, Rog. We will be back this Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time with a special live show from NBC's Fan Fest. Back in on Austin, television. Texas. Can't remember their carpet. I remember Nashville's carpet is impressive. Nashville's Cannot, carpet is top three. It, that's top three. Can't remember if Orlando, Austin even had carpet. Know, we know. Can't even have it. Uh, we'll be joined by special guests Rebecca Lua, Tim Howard, and Austin based barbecue master Aaron Franklin. Oh, that is on NBC SN. Genuinely yeah. cannot wait to be in Austin, Texas. The best Austin since Charlie, arguably, yeah. David. Yeah, or Tracy. The set will quite literally still be under construction. That's why we can't have a live audience Martino for the show. with like the Black & Decker. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've set up a post-show drinks, though. 
We're going to be having multiple post-show refresher buds with any and all Austin GFOPs at 6 p.m. local time <sighs> at the Rustic Tap on 6th Street. And the following morning, I'll be at the Fan Fest, Devo at the Fan Fest. So any GFOPs who can't make it out Friday, come by the Fan Fest on Saturday. You, meanwhile, Roger, will be on your way to North Carolina for the NWSL Finale. Finale. Oh, yes, I am a firm believer that there is no better way to shake off a brutal hangover than by boarding a 5 a.m. flight um, after the Texas barbecue the night before. J-Dubs yeah. and I are <laughs> headed to Cary, North Carolina. I pity your seat, mate. Oh, that coruscant of women's football. I'm sure it'll be one of those tiny little jets, David. Tim, one a of those, regional jet. One of those teensies where you get on, you're like, oh, no, this was a mistake. But we're going, oh, we're going to savor the NWSL championship game and appear the night before at a live taping of women in blazers. Oh, with a slew of special guests, including Ali Krieger and Ashlyn Harris, only the first couple of American soccer. We can't wait to see so many of you down there celebrate the championship game itself, which we'll discuss later on in this show, and more in depth in this week's Women in Blazers podcast, which features Heather O'Reilly. Mm. Hey, oh! Moments before she takes a feel for the final game in a sterling 17 year career, and Emily Sonnet. Oh, one of the great characters of the American game. Great GFOP at Gordon Shumway tweeted about our live show taping. I'm ridiculously excited for the most suboptimal night in North Carolina since Sam Bowie was drafted ahead of Michael Jordan. It's going to be worse than that. Mm. Much worse, I promise you. Yes, Rog, Women in Blazers NWSL final live pod will be taped at Backyard Bistro in Raleigh, North Carolina, this Saturday, October 26th at 7pm. The show is open to all ages. And the best part is, thanks to Budweiser, no tickets are required. What a weekend we're going to have. Okay, Rog, we got a packed show. We wave goodbye to Liverpool's 17-game winning streak as they're held to a draw. <laughs> By rivals, Manchester <sighs> Gave United. Gave me no pleasure at all. No, never. We call and check in metaphorically on our Spurs supporting friends, oh my word, after they could only muster a 1-1 draw against lowly Watford. And you very rationally, Rog, uh, discuss Everton putting a stop to their four-game losing streak by beating West Ham 2-0 on Saturday morning. Championes. Oh, but first a toast. Championes of what? Uh, of not being in the relegation zone. Yeah, by like oh, a point. I want to raise this third first bud of the day to the late great Representative Elijah Cummings, who passed this last week, aged just 68. I say this because I was incredibly moved by film of the first speech he gave on the floor of Congress back in 1996, oh, when Manchester United was still good. He recited a poem by Dr. Benjamin E. Mays about the fleeting yet significant nature of life. It goes like this. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Bud fam, blood fam, to the memory of Elijah Cummings, to the spirit of this poem. Let's take nothing for granted. Make every minute matter. Courage. Man United won, Liverpool won. Top of the table, Liverpool. <laughs> See their perfect start. To the season end at the altar of one of global football's most heated derbies, derbies, derbies. United hit first via a 36th minute Daniel James fueled counter that saw Marcus Rashford finish neatly past newly returned Alisson. But Liverpool would respond first to a 44th minute Sadio Mane goal that was overturned by VAR for handball. And eventually they score through a brilliant Robbo ball to substitute Adam Yayana in the 85th minute. It ends on as even. United are in 13th place while Liverpool remain the Premier League pace setters by six points. God, I realised this weekend just how petty I am by the incredible amount of pleasure I derive from Liverpool losing a winning record, which makes me a disgusting human being. I just want to throw that out. Is this right just because of the family dynamic that Knight supports Liverpool because of your rivalry? Everton versus Liverpool, or is that you just don't like a front runner? I'd like to say the latter. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't be the middle one. You know what? But it's really just about Nige. I, I need to plumb the depths a little bit more, the inky depths, and get back to you. And if Tottenham do the biz next weekend, we can plumb it because a little bit more. Because it's amazing for you to root for Manchester United in I know, any way. I found because... it. I found it. By the way, 
the, the, the joy, the, the scream that came out of my mouth, not when United scored, but when the Mane goal was overruled, I was shocked by its intensity and power. And that was exactly the emotion. Roger, what are you doing? I mean, part of it comes from the fact, I, 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 another feeling I can't believe, I feel almost a deep sorrow for Manchester United. I like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so much. To see him suffer pains me from a human perspective. And I just can't remember... The last time United limped onto the field against Liverpool, this massive Kings of the North battle with so few hopes, a lower sense of self, 14th place. And it was surprising then for me to watch Klopp in the tunnel pre-game. As you know, I'm actually now a Pilates student myself. So I recognized that Klopp was doing deep lateral Pilates breathing techniques before taking the field. And to me, that was a sign of the pressure Liverpool are under, will increasingly be under, will be heaped upon them going forward. Ahead of the game, Klopp had actually gone out of his way to build United up. A lot of the pundits were saying how Liverpool were such heavy favourites for this game. Klopp said, they're trying to make it as if we are the team and United are a nobody. He was so annoyed by pundits giving the best combined United Liverpool sides that they do on Sky, making it all 11 uh, Liverpool players. He said, it's really funny, 11 Liverpool players, no Manchester United players. He, he was disgusted by that and his feelings seemed crazy going into it, but it would become true. I mean, sometimes, as you've said, Davo, these big games have their own ecosystems in which form is suspended. Klopp called them the salt in the soup. And so it turned out to be from the off because United... They're like gourmet pink Himalayan rock salt in this one from the off. Man United came out and they came to play football. Three at the Rog. back. Football, David. Yeah. Aaron Van Aaron Aaron Van Bissaka. Yeah. Van. Aaron Van. Aaron Von Bissaka. Oh, and Ashley Young just yeah. charging high with passion, mm -hmm. with spirit, with organization. Liverpool, no Mo Salah. Mane switched to the right were ponderous. Was it wasn't that Liverpool were unsyncopated, David? Lacking a Christmas, plain old bad in that first half. Or was it the United up their game, winning almost every second ball? Van Bissaka dominating Andy Robertson for long periods. Pereira, Daniel James, oh my God, charging at the bat line with just courage and verve on the counter. Well, he has speed and that the speed is something that Liverpool don't like because they're not used to playing against the kind of speed that they have themselves. And when well, Trent... you're making our fullbacks what? Defend! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when TAA has to like sit back and he can't get into those advanced positions, that causes them problems. But I think there are two things that occur to me. One is Liverpool the last few weeks haven't ridden their luck, but they've, they've, they've won some very, very close games without actually playing amazing football. And so Liverpool have been winning. They've been doing what champions do, but they haven't been playing amazing football this whole time. Secondly, you know, every team goes against every team in the Premier League with a game plan. You know, you actually look at the books. These are like PowerPoint decks that are drilled into each player. There are the, the defense have one, the midfield have one, the attack have them. Each individual player understands exactly on his own PowerPoint deck what he's got to go and do. And the game plan was pretty perfect. So the reason that Liverpool were poor was not just because Liverpool haven't been playing great and they didn't play great in this one. It's because Man United played them correctly. Congratulations, OGS. Oh, then the United goal when it came was just reward. Daniel James, oh, Daniel Hammers, charging at warp speed. Delivering a stunning ball. Oh, he's the real Danny Dimes. Yeah. And Marcus Rashford, David, the great much maligned Marcus Rashford. What did you think of that? Well, it's a great finish, but it was a great run in the first place. He, <sighs> in his tireless running all day, you just saw him making the runs, making the moves, getting into that space, the, bothering defenders. The pass pattern that he ran against Joel Matic. Yeah. Faking the down out only to run a down and in. It was like... If it was a Looney Tunes cartoon, Matip should have just run into the post, fallen over, and then had a large anvil drop out of the sky. From Acme. To yeah, it would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the finish we need from, more Acme products uh, in the Premier League. League. I know. If you're listening, now Scudamore stepped off. Yeah. It's the next next level. Yeah. Just anvil, boom. <laughs> David Luiz, boom. Walking around like someone squashed him for a second, like he's a concertina. It would be hilarious. Rash beans, though, that outside of the foot caress of the tender lover finish. It was an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer finish of your, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Liverpool wanted the goal VAR. It was hard to make the men in blazers show because every major piece of action, we then had to unpack the VAR complaint against that major piece of action, which is to relive it. It's just not that dramatic. But Liverpool surrounded a referee, wanted VAR for a Lindelof foul on Origi, through which United won possession. Big man down, Davo. What did you make of it? It wasn't clear and obvious, was it? It was like Vlade Divac level theatrical. It wasn't clear and obvious. It wasn't even a foul. 
as far as I'm concerned. It was nothing. It was something you had to... I had to watch it three times in slow motion to even see what any Liverpool fan could be complaining about. I gotta tell you, this was peak Arsene Wenger behavior by Jurgen Klopp. Remember how many goals were scored? Do I remember Arsene Wenger? I know, yeah, but how many yes, times? I remember but Arsene how Wenger. many times were goals scored against Arsenal? And you've got Arsene Wenger complaining about some foul that happened in the build-up that when you actually went back and watched it was barely even a touch. Um, I this will was... say about this: people complain. You know, if you want to complain at VAR, you will find a way to complain. But to me, if the outcome of decisions like this is that players are now motivated to stay on their feet and not look to fling themselves to the turf at every single opportunity. To me, medium term, that is a good thing. And God love Marcus Rashford. We've got to say, he's not scored a lot recently. He does score in big moments. So I love the stat, 35% of his goals have come in big six games. But if ever a young English striker needed a goal, it's more than a goal. It's like a bolt of confidence, a hug, a validation for him. And it would get worse for Liverpool, Dave, Mane tied the game at the stroke yeah. of half-time. Embarrassing Lindelof. He really did embarrass Lindelof before finishing smartly, but it was chalked off. It was chalked off for use of the hand against his knee, and it was the opposing knee. Had he taken the ball on the other knee, the ball came over from the right. Had he raised his left knee to trap the ball, I'd have believed that he wasn't trying to do anything. He raised his right knee on a ball from the right and put his left arm, which clearly cushioned the ball. I'm, I'm so okay with... Not only VAR, I'm so okay with the rule of handball with that being handball. That was very, very clear handball to me. I mean, the ball, you could say the ball brushed his hand on the way down. Uh, that's a minimalist interpretation. But this is like it was only one millimetre offside. It's still offside. It's like if it brushes the hand, it's still handball. It, it enables him to control the ball and it enables the goal to be scored. So uh, the and new, with VAR, the of new, course, with VAR replay, And the new handball rule combined. Yes, exactly. It's the two combined and it's chalked off. Any goal scored or created with the use of the hand or arm will be disallowed this season, even if it's accidental so intention is actually nothing to do with the, for the offensive player yeah. yeah so you cannot score with the use of the hand the greatest argument you can have is that this is a good application of a slightly ill thought out rule and let's not forget liverpool have benefited from var with goals disallowed against them this season and i'm sure lots of teams who played liverpool are going to say that they've got things i just know because i watched the chelsea game super cup final goal disallowed in the premier league dave's goal was disallowed because someone had crawled like an inch offside in the in the in the build up which wasn't even the build up it was probably a separate phase of play and that the assistant never would have got so you're going to benefit from var var's going to hurt you it's not some var campaign by the robot overlords against liverpool i will say though <sighs> when that goal was denied as you i said you enjoyed it I was watching in a parking lot in Yonkers as my youngest was about to have the game of his life under nine's football is the best <laughs> football. And I'd screamed when the United goal went in. That surprised me. I, I rarely scream for United goals. I screamed even harder when the goal was denied. And that is modern football. It's truly sad and pathetic. The bellow, the joy, the celebration. And I wasn't alone. The cameras cut to the old Trafford fans and they were absolutely going bonkers for it. Like they just scored a goal or signed Alexis Sanchez or something. Liverpool were rattled, went into that locker room at halftime. They've been sloppy and calibrated. First time they've been behind at the half this season. I think uh, Newcastle's Jetro Willems was the only player to score in the first half against them at all. It was honestly, to me, it's astonishing this first half performance is watching Norwich beat Manchester City and then the second half United charged round with abandon they delighted in the press the more they ran the more Old Trafford rang out like old United 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 in ways we haven't heard for too long to be honest Jurgen Klopp irritated frustrated didn't lose his tactical focus so threw on fresh legs the Ox and Lalana to test and probe United's reserves you kind of felt United were buckle uh, but the game became hard. It was a battle of belief, will, with machismo sprinkles. United had just 23% possession in that second half. And it was just when Arlo White was talking about how comfortable they looked. And in truth, they were. They were rarely troubled. Liverpool just kept launching odd balls from deep into the box. It wasn't like a spell where you felt a goal was coming. But then you always say at the top level, top concentration is crucial. All it takes is a single mental lapse. And in the 85th minute, things went a bit we work. Really, well, I, wish, I wish that United. was a single mental lapse. It was a collective mental lapse by half the Manchester United defence. Ball in from R Robbo. Well, oh, that longbow master archer. Yeah, fantastic ball in. Uh, into the corridor of uncertainty. For some reason, Rojo <sighs> decides to go front post 
well, not really front post. He goes to the middle of the area, nowhere near where the ball is. Lost his man. Ashley Young just doesn't, which is, is not going to be a surprise to many Manchester United observers, just doesn't bother to track his man or defend whatsoever. He actually applied the same defence he uses when he thinks it's offside to something which he didn't think was offside until after the goal was scored. Just didn't even track his player, leaving Yayana Lalana completely wide open, knocks it in. Oh, a player who suffered with injuries and lack of playing time, starting to think about looking elsewhere for a fresh start, Jalen Hurt style. All that changed in an instant. The most unlikely Liverpool hero. Oh, J-Dub's texting me. If you like Adam Lallana. I'll get caught in the rain. And the feel of the ocean. And the taste of champagne. Yeah, I like it. If you like making love at me. Oh, that no, line no, always me. gets I it. I just love it. These are things that you got to love. Oh, the Rupert I Hame don't want to meet the person who doesn't like any of those things. Escape the Pina Colada song. Yeah. Top three happy sounding song that is actually unbearably dark and depressing when you look at the lyrics. Don't look at the lyrics. Rupert Holmes is a just a master of human darkness. It's up there, that song with Jump by Van Halen. Copacabana. Oh, by the best Barry since Gareth Manilow. And pretty much any song by ABBA. That is a... Oh, if you don't know the Escape the Pina Colada song, young listeners, Spotify it now. And you get all the emotions of Adam Lallana's goal. Because that goal was a mood. I mean, the basic nature of the goal damaged United's psyche. The confidence bled out of Old Trafford. The Liverpool players who spent 85 minutes languishing just sat up. Passes started to snap. You felt... The blood was in the water, but it was not to be. I think the best chance Ox rasped wide, ended the fifth draw of the last seven Premier League games between these two. Liverpool fans had to take solace by just chanting, you're going down, you're going down, you're going down to United. Let's talk about United first, David, because their fans will be delighted on the day, but it's the delight of relief and self-respect salvage. 32% possession, two shots on target. Golf between these two teams, still seismic though. Yeah, look, first half, they came out, they had a game plan against uh, Liverpool. Liverpool didn't adjust to it very well. They had much more possession. They looked much more dangerous. They scored that great goal. Um, and going into halftime, I think Man United fans, very, very happy. Second half, very, very different. Liverpool were dominant throughout the entire second half. Totally deserved their equaliser. Yeah, I think it's tough. United still, you know, this result is not a panacea that's going to change everything about their season. You know, they're sort of in the same place as they were before. They're still bottom half of the table. They're still struggling. And um, Ole now still talking vaguely about this being a long-term project. He's building for the future, future, future. But there's a brilliant David Comp piece in The Guardian. United's problems are just systemic. I mean, mm -hmm. he looks at the two American owner strategies with their teams, United's Glazers of Tampa Bay, buying the team a massive debt, using it to take money out for themselves. Boston Red Sox, John Henry and co looking to shrewdly build the club, build value within the club uh, for their own ultimate long-term success. United's worst start to us. Premier League season rumbles on mm -hmm. just two points off the relegation zone. Yeah. And from a Liverpool POV, oh, the unbeaten streak is over. Hot at the 17, one off the record. I don't think that kind of record actually matters to Klopp. He only cares about the title. His team is six points ahead. I think at the weekend, they would have been irritated by the drop points and particularly irritated by referee Martin Atkinson. But Klopp was derisive after the game. I found this fascinating. He said, when we come to Old Trafford, the last two years... They just defend. That's no criticism. That's just a fact. That is damning. But there is a question mark about Liverpool. They haven't played that well over the last, you know, few Premier League outings. And they didn't play that well in this game. And suddenly that gulf of class, which we saw, yes, there are still six points. That's not very much at this point of the season. But, you know, they don't seem to be as unbeatable as we might have thought a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think Klopp's comments were really a well-targeted swipe at United's sense of attack, 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 their own identity. I did love how Jose Mourinho was covering the game for Sky responded. He said, because he never beat United Old Trafford, I think he didn't like the menu. He likes meat and he got fish. Yeah. Oh, Jose, cryptic, wonder, but in the big picture... I love it. Jose, though, also doled out criticism at Ole Gunnar, saying he always talks about the future. I wish I could get a job where I could just talk about the future. Yes, instead you've got a job where you can just talk mystical crap. <laughs> oh, but in the big picture, this might not feel like a good result for Liverpool, but right now it probably doesn't. But as Jordo Henderson said, 
if you can't win at Old Trafford, don't lose. An independent writer, Miguel Delaney, came up with the excellent line. He said, Jurgen Klopp's side couldn't ensure 17 wins became a joint record 18, but their belief remains 18 titles will finally become 19. Mm. They'll have to retain their focus. Genk in the Champions League this week. It was only Genk. And then Arsenal in the next nine days. Good games. Good games coming up. Uh, Crystal Palace nil. Manchester City 2, the team pursuing Liverpool made light work of Palace while wearing jerseys that radiated brighter than the British sun ever has, Rog. Two phenomenal goals in this one. First, a sumptuous Bernardo ball to a superman in Gabriel Jesus, who <laughs> headed home. The second came just 93 seconds later when Raz's scoop pass oh. found the left foot of David Silva, who slapped it between the legs of never stop, never settle Wayne Hennessy. Peak <laughs> Manchester City here, despite Pep being forced into a makeshift defence. Yeah, big talking point going into this one. Not City's abject lack of central defence, there's no it was what on earth is pep making his poor players wear on the field that fluorescent eyesore it's almost as if he's all out trying to unleash the single color combo that least flatters ginger de bruyne yeah this is an unattractive kit and there's something that at selhurst park it looks in under the lights it looked particularly bad i remember arsenal wore a similarly terrible kit to crystal palace last season i don't know what it is that teams think oh we'll go to south london we'll sort of uh this is a time to dress up in our sort of more colorful fashion the way that the pink kind of like just draws the eye to the middle it makes every single player look like they have a giant eden azard-esque it's almost an eden Zardeg ass tribute makes them all look like they've got enormous buttocks. Yeah. Saying Liverpool buttocks, you could rest a pint glass on. And, and it looks even worse because Palace are wearing both red and blue. You know, sometimes Classic. you can wear a colourful accessory if you're wearing sort of monochrome, a single colour against the rest of the time. Because Palace are wearing red and blue, it looked even worse. Oh, in less important matters, City arrived after being humiliated by Wolves, eight points back. Pep experiencing his worst ever start to a season as a manager, just 16 points off eight games. Mm. I'll be honest, I'd bite your hand off for 16 points. You would. And without any recognised central defenders, and by recognised central defenders, we don't mean John Stones, who must be so humiliated right now. Pep solved the problem in Pete Pep fashion, fielding one goalkeeper, two fullbacks, one striker, and seven, seven midfielders. This was Pep porn, essentially. Rodri, way back as centre-back. Palace feeling it a bit before this game. Fourth place within touching distance. They got their game plan. They tried to commit to it with discipline, but they had no chance in this. City just, oh, they were just like a crack ultimate Frisbee team in this one. Gundogan, Sterling, Bernardo, KDB tossing the disc around. Disc that Palace were chasing like an overfed Labrador. Jesus, you love that goal, didn't you? Yeah, it was a fantastic goal, but also like, how do you prepare? How do you build a game plan against seven midfielders? It's just, it's pretty difficult to go and do. Rise and shine. This was was an amazing goal. I think it actually came off his shoulder or his origi, as it's known in the game. In the The, business. The second, two minutes later, was Pep Porn. It was. It was Pep Porn. (laughs) Palace tried to get themselves back into the game, shoved numbers forward. Yeah. Oh, City punished them and how Silver started, ended the move. Raz with the alley-oop to Tiny. It was honestly so hard technically to do what David Silver made look so easy. Just the ball dropping over his shoulder, spanking it through the goalkeeper's five hole. It was like J-Dub said, like watching Spud Webb toss an alley-oop to Muggsy Bogues for the dunk. It was total wizard filth. This seven, Davo, the midfielder. I mean, Fernandinho and Rodri were adequate, mostly because until Benteke arrived to accidentally do a couple of good things late on. They didn't test Edison. And when they do, by the way, Edison made a save in this one and then showed how Manchester he's become because he screamed as soon as he got the ball, he just screamed, sick! And his defenders, which I just loved. I don't think they say that in Brazil, but he's got it. He just went, sick! And his defenders, as if he's from Lancashire, when he made the save. <laughs> it's the only test. English he's learned. It's, it's the only English you really need up there. How'd you get a waiter? Sick! That double midfield layer. Borderline impermeable. And the question is, will it be against better teams, Dave? We will see. Yeah, well, Man City do okay against better teams. It gets the worst teams that they seem to struggle. But yeah, Man City looked incredible in this one, despite Dadlow Sherberty outfits. Impressive win. Six points place back. to go and win. Seven point deficit overridden last season. Mm-hmm. Buckle up. We got ourselves an Aesop's fable of a title race. American sports entrepreneur inspired tortoise against the Abu Dhabi Petro dollar fueled hair. It's an Sheffield, white line. Very nice. Sheffield United <laughs> won. Arsenal nil, Rod Shocker. A oh magical night under the Monday night lights. Oh at Bramall God. Lane as the Magnificent Blades claim their first... <sighs> 
top six scalp of the season. A 30th minute least Mousse goal was the difference in this one. With that, Sheffield United go into ninth place. They're the highest ranked United in English football. Honestly. Yep. Panic is Are they set. higher than Atlanta United? Yeah, they're not in English football, Rog. Panic, English-speaking football, but not English football. Panic is setting in at Arsenal, however, as Unai Emery's lackluster team slip into fifth place. Two points your hand off, of fourth place Chelsea. Perhaps most worryingly, they are seven points and a negative <sighs> nine-goal difference worse than they were in comparative games last season. You know, I've had to say this already too many times this season. It's hard sometimes to tell where the New York Knicks end and Arsenal begins. Dave, you just knew this was going to go badly, didn't you? When maybe before kickoff, David Luiz proclaimed, Arsenal can fight for the Premier League title this season. Oh, David. Uh, and then Unai Emery claimed, Arsenal are on course to, quote, do something important this season. By do something important, maybe he meant charity work for yeah. Sheffield United. Arsenal never less dangerous than when they feel they're at their most dangerous. So true. Yeah. It's that they are never more vulnerable yeah. than when they're feeling a sense of their own might. Yeah. Arsenal possibilities only exist to be possibilities coolly dented, right? So it's funny. So after this game yesterday, in preparation for this pod, I sent a group text out to all of my Arsenal supporting mates. <sighs> Have not heard it because I just want to know how they were feeling, what was going on. I think they probably think I was trolling them, but they also know that I like things to talk about the next day and um, have not got a single response. And this is partly because <sighs> I think, honestly, Arsenal fans... They're almost running out of the ways that they can process so disappointments funny. like this. I reached out to my mate, Michael Kerry. Yeah. Always the most optimistic Arsenal fan yeah. of all time. I got a one word response Which at the is... final whistle. Pain. <laughs> oh, my, that's all it is. Pain. Nothing else. I can tell you this. I mean, they won't help us break it down. We'll have to use our amateur eye. Yeah. Unai Emery. Almost certainly never watch game tape of Sheffield United testing Liverpool, yeah. tormenting Chelsea, yeah. and rooting Everton, because his team were not set to play against such a fervously organised, disciplined yeah. outfit. He didn't underestimate them, Rog. He just didn't know how good they were. God, that is a Bobby Robson quote yeah. from World Cup 90. 1990, yeah. when England were going to play Cameroon, I think yeah. in the quarterfinal. Cameroon, yeah. who were just out of nowhere, just the incredible team of the tournament, they just just beat them yeah, and afterwards Bobby Robson said to the media I didn't underestimate Cameroon I just didn't think they'd be that good <laughs> and that was this but with a losing outcome Arsenal had so much possession they had no idea what to do with it they were sterile they were impotent and on the half hour they did their defense comedy buckling thing a joke that even for me has long stopped being funny David yeah. from a corner chaos Jack O'Connell had the ball across goal, brushed Louise on the way. It's gone to a point where every single goal Arsenal concede must now legally torment David Louise. Yeah, it somehow. has to involve him in some way. This <laughs> may be in his contract. He might be on a bonus. I don't know if he is, but Jack has certainly got in his contract. I have to lose my marker here. Moussa yeah. leaving him to slot home. Here's the cool part. Arsenal do have good players, but Very they are so disorganized, so lacking, so complacent. It was all so obvious. It really was. Sheffield... They probably couldn't believe this glamour team were coming into their own patch under the lights and just playing into their hands. Problem, 17 months into the Emery tenure, seems like I, I am a conservative man, unwilling or unable to coax the best out of an athletically, attackingly gifted squad. So he, he almost neutralizes himself, can't sort out his defense. And most cruelly and oddly of all, marginalizing Ozil. When you crave creativity in that midfield, it's like scoffing at toupees when you're going bald, David. It's so tough. It's tough to articulate or put into words. But when you're looking at good Premier League teams, you see managers. Sometimes it's strong arms. The Alex Ferguson's, the, the Jurgen Klopp's, who by force of will and character mold these people Charisma. together. And then you've got other managers. I mean, it's way too early in his tenure to know, but like the sort of the Lampard approach, the arm around them. It's what Poch was for a long time at Tottenham, where it's like... So good at the high the, fives. He cups your hand yeah. with this air noise. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah just, just making, like, pop, making everybody... Pop. And you feel like all the players are friends and, the, you know, everybody's getting along with each other. At Arsenal, you've got neither. Unai Emery does not seem like the hard taskmaster, nor does he seem to be blending this sort of idea of camaraderie around We are not friends, we are acquaintances! Like, if you think about it, okay, what's the core of people on that Arsenal team who are mates with each other? It's actually kind of difficult to kind of figure out what it is. They almost seem like a collection of individuals. God, Arsenal, just attack life like Bellerin. It's just a love for life like that, man, and, and fashion, it will all be okay. Fashion. Here's the story. You, good news, you're still fifth. Yeah. You've had some solid results in this season. Your bat line is glaringly poor. 
Yeah, your midfield still lacks guile. Ozil remains frozen out. You've got an over-reliance on Uber to make things happen and bail you out. It's all glaring. Arsenal fans are like Everton fans right now. We're just braced for darkness. We want to see lessons learned. You want to see lessons learned. You want evidence of forward motion and you're feeling neither. Statistically, the beginning of the Emery era and the end of the Wenger era, almost the same in terms of results. So yes, Arsenal are fifth. And I see the fans, what they're reacting to is really the lack of a medium-term plan or future, a future that the club seem to be stumbling into. It's why oh. they're reacting like Dyatlov demanding the AZ5 button be pushed down. Shut the core down now! And it's also, as Spurs are in meltdown, which we're going to talk about in a, in a second, it's tough because Arsenal fans would love to be just like flying high to sort of you know, be sitting on top of the double-decker bus, like laughing at the little peasants walking on the street in North London, but they can't because they're not like pulling away themselves in any significant way. <sighs> We've got to say a word about Sheffield United. What a the what, what a fantastic night for, for United fans, a team that have languished and suffered. Yeah. Like their city is a steel industry collapsed in post-industrial Britain. Nights mm. like these, nights like last night, Oh, your team got the joint best defensive record in the league. Outstanding. Yeah, and that's with overlapping centre-backs. There'll be so many hangovers at work today, mm. Dave, out in Sheffield. Probably at school, if we're being honest, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at middle school. I, yeah, I loved. In kindergarten. Yeah. There were not that many... Dear teacher, I had a few yeah. on the brown. Oh, I love being in Sheffield for my promoted series. I just adored the passion of that long-suffering fan base. They've got a beautiful, well-known song there, the Greasy Chip Butty song which is sung to the tune of You Fill Up My Senses by John Denver. You fill up my senses like a gallon of Magnet, that's the local beer, like a packet of Woodbines, the classic old English cigarette, like a good pinch of snuff, like a night out in Sheffield, like a greasy chip butty, like Sheffield United, come fill me again. And then they all go, nah, 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 ooh. Oh, it's the simple pleasures of life that song is about, Dave. The simple pleasures of life. And last night is one of the great, Joyous, simple pleasures of life. Tottenham won, Watford won, Spurs' septic form continues. <laughs> they scrape a draw at home against bottom of the table Watford. It was the Orns who took the lead just six minutes in via Abdoulaye Decore. It took Spurs some 80 minutes to answer. And when they did, it came through a somewhat controversial and confusing Delhi goal. His first start of the season, by the way, Spurs have won just three of their last 12 Premier League games oh, and kept just one God. clean sheet during that stretch. It's crisis season, S-Z-N, at Spurs, S-P-U-R-S, or is it S-P-U-R-Z? 2019 Champions League final, seems years ago. Flailing Tottenham have lost 19 of their past 41 games in all comps. Seven changes, Deli Ali, yeah. exhumed. Yeah. Lucas Moura chucked on from the start. For Watford, the game started exactly how they planned with poor Danny Welbeck doing exactly what Watford signed him for, which is falling over within three minutes and having to limp off injured. That was just the appetizer, the main course, sucker punching Spurs three minutes later. Scoring the kind of goal everyone's scoring now, right, David? Just that beautiful curled ball behind the bat line, Spurs defenders just lolloping in the face yeah. of danger. Yeah, lollygagging. And Decore tapping it in. GFOP at Lush Accountant 2 tweeted, Our oh, Spurs stole the London NFL games from Shad Khan. And we somehow became the Jaguars in the process. Worse, yeah. mate, I think you become Fulham. Because <laughs> you can tell everything by how a team responds to conceding a goal. You always say, Spurs, so laboured. I'm looking at Poch on the bench, though. I'm not convinced this is Poch. I think this may be some distant relative of Poch who looks a bit like Poch. It may not even be a relative. Just don't seem to be led by the same human at this point. <sighs> I'm willing to consider any theory at this moment because... I find it was so upsetting to watch Spurs, who've given us such joy. I think they gave hope to teams like Everton that you could build. Yeah. You could build a process, not necessarily driven by money, but with collective tenacity and sourcing yeah. great players. So watch this Spurs labor to be out-thought, out-hustled, out-muscled by Watford, who were unlucky not to have a VAR penalty when I think it was Deo Lefeo brought down by Vertonghen. Another yeah. inconsistent VAR I mean, application. That, to me, right. looked like a very clear penalty. I didn't understand that one. And then another weird VAR application on their goal, the Deli Ali Late Show. Sadio Mane will have been watching that handball and be like, what? What? I mean, Deli Ali is a symbol of this Spurs team. I mean, he was a hero of England's World Cup run. 
now barely holding down the team place. Just a symbol of decline. The most Spursy VAR application for his goal. But my God, an enormous goal in the Spurs season, which was poised to plummet off the cliff. Oh, crisis. And this was all in the week. Amazon announced, Davo, they're making a hard knock style show about this Spurs season, which they're calling All or Nothing. A season that probably turned towards, we'd guess, the nothing, wouldn't you oh, think? <laughs> oh, so they're taking the all-or-nothing franchise, <laughs> yep. which is an NFL franchise, and they're applying it to Spurs. That's brilliant. This is going to be fantastic to watch. Yeah, one it's going to feel like a bit, a bit like a spin-off from the English office if it featured only Gareth. Mm. This was not nothing, this game, but a scrabble-together point against bottom feeders Watford felt like a win. And then you realize... Mm, it's a win like i guess a mr good bar is a, it gives you a quick burst of energy and then it burns off that sugar high mm. and you realize you've just won three of your last 12 premier league games just keeping one clean sheet and it don't feel so good liverpool now await chelsea won newcastle nil some american on american action yeah, yeah, yeah. in west london as christian politics chelsea christian politics chelsea yes. the only place you're do saying think, that do you think in Liechtenstein they're marketing that chelsea is featuring christian <laughs> politics chelsea yeah they host deandre yedlin's tune it's almost as ludicrous after starting on the bench cp entered in the second half and in the 73rd minute assisted the assister oh. A hockey assist, Rog. Callum Hudson-Odoi. Cho on a Marcus Alonso strike. Cho! Chelsea Chelsea up to fourth place. I'm not sure that that, that recap adequately uh, explains the entire narrative of this game, but we'll just take it from a purely American on American perspective. Well, you don't think in Belgium they're like, Christian Pulisic game changer? Yeah, probably not. They're, they're probably like, Bat you Batshuayi, Chelsea, <laughs> never stop, never give in, off the bench, it's the Bat Show. Yeah. Oh. How is it this game really was not about the bats and maybe arguably not about Christian Pulisic, which is blasphemy in these parts. David. It's really about how many English babies did Chelsea need to change a light bulb and win ugly, Davo? And the answer we learned is five. Tamori, Barkley, Mount, hudson Adoy, Cho and Abraham. The most they fielded since 2013. It's astonishing to watch this Chelsea team, how young and English they've become. Callum Hudson Adoy, when were you last so excited about three words that make up a Chelsea player in your life, David? Fantastic. Apart from Christian, Christian Pulisic. I don't know if you saw the goal he scored for England under 21s during the international break, took the ball on the edge of his Can't area, stop, went stop. through the entire field, I think it was against Austria, and just scored an absolute cracker. He's got hazard like qualities. I know it seems like a very dangerous thing to say, but he's just got sheer sheer footballing ability and he's got that moxie he's got oh. that confidence he's just got a lot of elements that can help him make it as a professional footballer in the premier league and international football rog lovely to watch him and look despite all the english babies actually chelsea's best two players in this game have to hand it to Jorginho, the much maligned it seems to be that's his new first name the much maligned Jorginho. fantastic in this game and, and christian pulisic willian has been chelsea's best player all season willian deserves anybody who watches chelsea game in game out knows this willian has been their best player so far this season. You been can't amazing. spell W without William. No, you're right. Don't know what that actually look, means. This was but a great who came on in the 64th Christian... minute to change the game, throw two Americans onto a Premier League pitch? He and Yedlin. Wow, our Men in Blazers American American Player of the Year Award 2020 going to be neck and neck right down to the wire. Yeah, well. Because oh, our Christian was a real spark plug, David. Immediately hit a difficult chance, I said. Mm, you said, well, an open chance right at the keeper. Look, let me say this. This was an amazing opportunity for Pulisic to come in. This is a game which Chelsea had dominated possession. You've got a tiring Newcastle trying to defend. This is exactly the opportunity that Christian wants coming off the bench to go and inject some life hey into the guys. game. He had a slow first 10 minutes on the field, didn't get to touch the ball a lot. I sometimes worry with Christian that players are not passing to him. I worry that they're not feeding him the ball in opening position. He's always like, I'm open, guys. I'm open over here and the ball seems to switch to the other side but when he did touch the ball you know he had he, he, he's the only player that can make a switch happen without ever touching the ball yeah, exactly there are a few exactly he makes it he has yeah. a great influence on Force the switch of play going to the other side he had some good moments and definitely the oh. highlight was the assist for the assist. The low light was probably the missed goal. Everybody no. wants to see him get on the score sheet and he he was he was sort of alone in front of goal oh, and didn't manage that, to make that, it. That, that goal came off an intelligent classic Christian Dortmund era penetrative run three defenders collapsed on him yeah 
fared the magnificent Cho. Well, well that, I that don't know that the pass was meant for Cho, but Cho got it. Uh, it the, the pass was meant for Chris Wondolowski. Yeah. Wando's coming through the middle. Oh, no, I'm not playing for America. I'm playing for the Chelsea. Cho controlled it. So that touch, I've watched that touch so many times. Yeah. He made it look easy. Set up Alonso, scorer of mighty goals to slam that ball home with the power of a Jose Altuve line drive. Christian, all I'll say is reports of his flu <clears throat> have been greatly exaggerated. Coming on, being part of the moves which changed the game, and then being denied an assist, setting up Tammy Abraham with an almost open goal, only to be denied by a magical 80th minute clearance off the line. By whom? The Andrew Yedlin! West Coast, East Coast, hip-hop beef off the line. Magnificent. Chelsea won without finding... Oh, their true stride, which you always think is a good thing. Fifth consecutive victory or comps. Most importantly, a clean sheet. Just their second in the last 12. Those open kind of games where they don't defend and just try and shoot out the lights. Those are things of the past, right, David? Look, if you look at Chelsea's season after that opening day, horrific loss at Manchester United. You look at Chelsea's form since then. The only other game they lost was a game when they were like there with Liverpool for the entire game. A couple of games that they might have finished off, they didn't manage to. Chelsea have been pretty good. Chelsea feeling... I would say very good going into the Champions League this week against Ajax. You know, and the squad are performing well. And look, can I say about Christian, because there are people who might think I'm being too hard on him. This was exactly what Christian's going to have to do. He did make his mark. He came on. He got, you know, he's going to play as a sub most of the time until he can get ahead of William and Cho in the pecking order. Head of Giroud now. He's ahead of, well, but he's not a wide player. He's going to play in those wide positions. And those are the players. It, it's Pedro who's injured and Willian and, and Cho who he's competing against for those minutes. But he's going to get opportunities to come on from the bench when players are tiring. Might get a Champions League start against Ajax. We'll see. Carabao Cup beckons yeah. for Pulisic. A small step, I'd say, but a step in the right direction. Something positive to build off. Especially after the international break. Newcastle, though, back in the bottom three, a fortnight after beating Manchester United. It's not all darkness, though. I did like the report this week that dread owner Mike Ashley is holding talks in London with a, quote, Mexican group who are fascinated with Newcastle because of the movie goal. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like wanting to buy West Ham because you watch Green Street Hooligans and really liked it. Yeah. I'm going to buy McDonald's. I really love Super Size Me. That movie just really... I love victory. I'm going to buy a German POW camp. (laughs) (laughs) Leicester 2, Burnley 1. After emotional scenes marking the one-year anniversary of former owner... Vishai Siwata Anaproba. His passing. The Foxes stormed back from two goals down to win their fourth consecutive home game. Chris Wood... Headed the Clarets in front on 26 minutes, only to have Jamie Vardy draw Leicester level with a header of his own. The least Vardy goal of all time, I dare say. And in the 74th minute, it was 22-year-old Belgian Yuri oh, Tielmans who goal. won it for Brodgers mob. Leicester are in third place, Roger. And they're one of the most resilient teams in the Premier League right now. I mean, on a day in which they paid tribute to their late owner as the first anniversary of his tragic passing approached... Oh, it was emotionally marked. It was beautiful. A reminder to save a life while you can. They're also dealing with all kinds of soap opera storylines. James Madison's visit to a Leicester casino after claiming to be <coughs> too ill to play for England. And Jamie Vardy, David, dealing with his wife's counterintelligence operations against Colleen Rooney in what was one of whoa, the most sensational games of Clue of all time. It was Colonel Plum in the ballroom with a candlestick. No! It was Rebecca Vardy on the Finstagram with a call to the sun. <laughs> I still don't fully understand that story, but I just love how obsessed England is with it. English football, the English media obsessed with this story. The entire nation is uh, essentially melting down because of Brexit. This is the thin life raft that they're holding on to. It's somehow story. keeping them it's safe. It's a bigger story. Oh, despite this... Or perhaps because of this, they also had the resilience yet again to respond when going behind to a headed goal from Chris Wood, the most stealthily productive striker in the Premier League. Vardy rose over Ben Mee, who on the TV you called... Jamie Vardy's favourite personal pronoun. (laughs) And he nodded home a filthy Harvey Barnes curveball, then ran to celebrate in front of Burnley fans who'd been chanting that his wife is a grass. And then they finished off the Clarets with just a stunningly worked team goal, emphatically finished by Tielemans. Brendan Rodgers' side, confident, patient, 
Never panic. Aston Villa 2, Brighton 1. Quite a game from your man, Jack Grealish. Yes! Who fueled this claret and blue comeback over the 10-man gulls. Adam Webster put the visitors in front on 21 minutes, only to have Aussie Aaron Moy sent off 14 minutes later. <sighs> With that, Grealish took control, first scoring in first-half injury time and then slipping a filthy assist to Matt <sighs> Target for the winner in the 94th minute. Villa win two in a row and are up to 12th place. Yeah, and they began the season by showing they could take the lead and give it up and have now summoned the steel and the tenacity. This is the first time they've come from behind to win a Premier League game since December 2014. And Jack Grealish, he's the man to thank for that, charging around like product placement for Peaky Blind this season five, which I was so excited for, but found unwatchable. Please mm. at me if you think I'm wrong. I'd love to stand corrected. Jack Grealish, magnificent. Two goals in two games for that young Arthur Shelby reincarnated. Wolves won, Southampton won, a Danny Ings goal and Raul Jimenez penalty split the points in the Black Country. Wolves stay unbeaten in four. Southampton, meanwhile, put a tourniquet on a three-game losing streak. Yeah, four goals in a row for Danny Ings, four scrappy, crappy goals in a row. Oh, yeah, this one was actually quite good, but he does love an inside-of-the-box goal. He's like an English chicharito. If ever there was an MLS player in the making, dot, 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 it was Rebecca Vardy. Bournemouth nil, Norwich nil. A notable game pretty much only because both Bournemouth and Norwich kept their first league clean sheets of the season. They were the last two sides to actually keep a shutout in the Premier League this season. Okay, Rod, the result of the weekend. Everton 2, West Ham nil. Thank God I was worried about this one. Yeah. A very nice piece of skill from Brazilian Bernard and an Icelandic arrow into the top bins. Just the way the Vikings like him, Rog. Put a stop to your Everton's four-game losing streak and lift them out of the relegation zone. Which is where we belong. Uh, playing West Ham, a team almost as woefully inconsistent as we are. Five changes for Everton. Even club Nigel, Theo Walcott, was relieved from mail room and reception duties and chucked onto the field to get us out the bottom three. There was an intensity. There was a desire. There was a handsome Gomez the giddy to see back Tom Davis and just the, can I say, Arsenal fans, thank you for a Wobie. Thank you. <laughs> just, he drives our team. He, he's Arsenal's best player. He's at once in the generational Arsenal talent. And I've got to say, he's got all the making of an Everton cult hero like Tim Cahill. He's just, he tries. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's always 100% heart and effort. Thank you, Arsenal fans. Thank you. But the game was also blown chance after chance, trait that is Everton's only consistent quality this season. So when we scored, Dave, it was remarkable, to be honest. Well, it also seemed to defy physics, the laws of time and space, angles. Bernard. He seemed to score it from, what is it? It's not an obtuse angle, but the angle is like, yeah, it's like he scored it from behind the goal, it seemed, without the ball going out of it play. It wasn't just the angle, which was astonishing. It was like there was a check back and then a wriggle like a sawtooth eel before poking it through the goalkeeper. And there was about three times in the move where he looked like he totally lost control of the ball. And I will be honest, twice I shouted at the television, what are you doing? Because he didn't shoot it, but then he did. And when Everton became the first scorer, I was watching with my youngest, Oz. And as the ball went in, rather than meeting it with like that full-throated roar that I now welcome Manchester United goals with, Oz just turned to me, bewildered and confused, and said, what happened, Dad? Did, did Everton just score? Like, just complete... Like, that doesn't happen anymore. He's never... In his little life, he's not used to us it's taking the lead. eight times the season. <laughs> West Ham, with Yormalenko on the bench, played like Everton in disguise. Couldn't cope with Everton's pace down the flanks. 11 shots in the first half, just one goal. We should have been miles clear in this game. We kept focusing on hitting the post, which we do so well. We hit it really well at the oh, goalkeeper. so good at hitting the post. Yeah, we arc it narrowly wide. The game was how I imagine autoerotic asphyxiation to feel like, you know, like strangling yourself with risk and threat of self-sabotage all in the name of enhanced pleasure. It was just such a yeah, dangerous... you know nothing about what you're talking about, Rog. As an Everton fan, I have no <laughs> idea whatsoever. You can listen to my other podcast for uh, more no, on all of this. No. But we did it. Gilfie strolled on with a couple of minutes to go. What? 
probably very angry at losing his place, rightly being dropped, Dave. But what did he do? He scored the goal that he should be scoring every week, that Everton expected him to be scoring every week, and he just did. It was Gilfie stuff. This is, remember how excited you were about Gilfie going to Everton? I still am by the idea of it. Yeah. He smited the ball with his Viking warhammer of a, a right. It was a goal that Everton scored exactly once a season. Best performance of the season, clean sheet. We even defended set pieces. And wow, for one week, one week, Theo Walcott was able to kick a football without falling over it all felt like magic squad stepped up cleared for at least another month any lingering concerns about marco silva losing the dressing room and at the final whistle the cameras panned to an old fan grinning like a fool Mm. incredulously celebrating the final whistle with his yellow teeth and producer jonah emailed me to say that man is actually only 18 He's just been an Everton fan for his entire life, and it'll do that to you. GFOP at RD McClengan wrote in to say, I love this. At Rog Bennett, watching Everton this morning, my five-year-old daughter is watching with me, saw the Bernard goal and said, this is my team now, Dad. He said, I don't have the heart to tell her. All I can say, fantastic day for you and your daughter, whose name I believe is Maisie. She's learned a life truth. Life is hard. The struggle is real. Every moment of joy must be celebrated full-throatedly, never taken for granted. Email me at meninblazers at gmail.com. I'm going to send her a patch. We would be remiss, Rog, if we did not harken uh, back to the darkest of results last Tuesday up in Trudeau country, Canada to USA uh, nil. A new nadir, nadir, for our US men under Greg Berhalter, which left the prince who was promised... Your boy, Christian Pulisic, in tears on the sideline. <laughs> Top line thoughts, Rog. I've got my own. First of all, Canada, congratulations. Canadian GFOPs, your team have invested in the game at the grassroots. There's a real feeling of growth and positivity up there. A bit like there was in the US around the national team in the early 2000s. You have a game plan, you have an idea and your team execute brilliantly through the electric Alfonso Davis on the flank. The U.S. could not live with him. Watching the U.S. flounder, though, Pulisic in tears, God bless, when he was substituted off, all that stress and pain from Chelsea just bubbling right to the surface. That is our nation's once-in-the-generational talent crying on the bench. Not a good look. I mean, look, international football, the inherent question is always for every team, do you create a system for the players you have? Or do you enforce the system and try and find the players to fit it? And Greg Berhalter clearly doing the latter, somewhat naively to me, and falling flat on his face because club team and international team football are so radically different. You live with your club. You train all week with your club. You get to bring players, buy players if they don't fit your system. International teams, you have what you have. They're fleeting creatures as well. They're flung together. Players arrive. You have like three training sessions before they get chucked onto the field. So trying to turn the US into a play-out-the-back, Pep-style possession football team, to me, it's it's a march of folly, Dave, and we saw that. Yeah, Canada, obviously a vastly improved team. They're a team that maybe should have been performing better for years yeah. and haven't done. Uh, they've fourth, got some... fourth loss to a CONCACAF team in 2019, David. Yeah, and look, and this is one of the things that with the Nations League, more of the US's international break fixtures are going to be against other CONCACAF teams because <sighs> that's the way that it happens. Now, this is difficult. It means that world ranking points, the US used to travel, go and play against top teams in UEFA because it seemed to be a big fixture and it was easier for them to gain ranking points, finding those draws, finding those points. Now, this is going to see, you're going to see the US men's national team FIFA ranking come lower if they're unable to hammer these CONCACAF teams in Nations League, it'll come down. This is important because now qualifying for the World Cup is based on FIFA World Ranking. They've taken that initial semi-final stage of, of qualifying. You go straight into the hex based on your World Ranking. There's no danger of the US not making it for next year, but you're starting to see more into competition. Qualifying. Yeah, you're starting to see more competition for these teams to get into the hex. This was a really important game for Canada, a really important game. They're sitting outside of hex World Cup rankings right now. They need to go go up in there. And you start to look at these other teams, Costa Rica, Panama, who are way outside the running right now. Obviously, Mexico, the elite team in the division, Jamaica playing better football. Curacao. <laughs> I mean, everybody. It's like you've got some really good teams in CONCACAF right now. And you start to worry. I start to worry a little bit about the U.S. and qualifying for 2022, which should be automatic. They are likely to qualify, but... 
they're going to have to beat teams like Canada home and away or at least get a point in Canada uh, to go and do that. So no givens in CONCACAF any longer. Here's what I hate the most. First of all, the lack of the outcry from fans, even American soccer fans, many American soccer fans have lost faith in the US men who've broken their trust, really. We want hope. Not unlike Arsenal fans, we want proof that lessons have been learned that night in Trinidad and Tobago. We want to see forward progress. Just a general apathy that met the result suggests even many American soccer fans are in danger of giving up on the men and, and, and just becoming club football fans, which is truly dark. It's even darker because we have talent. I mean, this was a weekend in which Pulisic came on and to me turned the game. Zach Steffen kept a Bundesliga clean sheet and the magical Josh Sargent became a 19, the youngest player in Werder Bremen history to score four times. We have no idea how to play football though. And it's going to hurt us for a long time to me because the last generation of internationals, the Giants, Tim Howard, Clint Dempsey, they, they used to lumber back from the Premier League. They used to love coming back to the US. The respite, the camaraderie, just the, the togetherness to reunite, compare notes, fight together. Used to feel like both a joy and a shelter from the storm. By the way, fight like Sheffield United fought against Arsenal. And I do fear that this transitional chaos of the program since October 2017 is going to make our best young talent start dreading the call-up, start dreading reporting to camp, which is which is a real darkness. Should they replace Greg, David? Well, look, I might not agree with you that Christian Pulisic came on for Chelsea and changed the game, but I also don't understand what Greg Berhalter is doing, taking off Christian Pulisic, who is by far his best player during the second half of that game, which will destroy his confidence. You can see how upset Christian Pulisic was. I wish Christian didn't get so upset. I wish he was harder. I wish he had more Clint Dempsey swagger about him. I don't like to see a professional athlete in tears on the sideline of the game. Feelings. It's a bit why it's too whiny, Rog. But that seemed to me a crazy decision. I don't understand what Greg Berhalter is doing. I don't understand the way he's got his teams playing football. He seems to insist on playing out of the back when he doesn't seem to have necessarily the talent to go and play out of the back. We loved those US teams that fought, that fought, that outrun, that out-hustled. There seemed to be this sort of American quality, this American identity, this sort of underdog quality of going out and doing it. They don't like playing football increasingly when they are favoured. They seem to struggle to find the identity when they're being favoured in CONCACAF and it's becoming an issue and everybody wants to go and beat them instead of reacting to that with the swagger, with that Dempsey swagger. Dempsey against Jamaica when he just had that little, you know, fight in the midfield. I just, I miss those players. I miss that that sense of the American identity. Maybe maybe 3Gs are not enough. No, we need more. We need so a manager with more Gs. Maybe 3Gs are not enough to save America, David. Maybe who, that's a lesson we take. Who has more than 3Gs? Maybe another Burhalter. Is there a Burhalter? A brother called Glugging Burhalter. Oh, Glugging. How many G's does that have? Four. Four. Okay. Googling. Googling. Does that? I mean, goggling. Yeah. Googling. Disaggregating. All of these. Oh, have that's good. For disaggregating Burhalter. I think we've already got him. If there's any, if there's any, if there's anybody out there, this is America. You Ging have crazy. Gang, yes. Gooly, 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 yes. Gotcha. We need. We need. If any of you are called Ging Gang Gooly 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 WhatsApp or whatever yeah. that song is called, yeah. if any, that is your first name, please report to the bridge immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we may need. Uh, we're going down, David. Yeah. So Ging Gang Gooly 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 WhatsApp Burhalter, if you're listening. <laughs> WhatsApp. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah, dark times, Rog. In NWSL, Rog, the final is set. The North Carolina Courage take on the Chicago Red Stars this Sunday in Cary, North God, Carolina. North Carolina needed extra time to advance past Rain FC this weekend while Chicago punched their finals ticket by seeing off the Portland Thorns 1-0. Some amazing moments in these matches, Rog. Yeah, anyone who says there's nothing better than playoff hockey clearly never watched playoff NWSL. Oh, it's a magical weekend. North Carolina courage rose up in extra time to smite the l plucky rain, it must be said. And amidst delirious scenes in Chicago, Sam Kerr, to me, the best goal scorer in the world, delivered for a team, powered them to snap their cycle of heartbreak for semi-final losses to top a late season slumping thorn side. The courage do seem almost omnipotent, but the Death Stars are the one team they've had problems with this season. Two losses to them on the year. Kerr gets behind their press. We will have a battle royale Sunday, 3.30 on ESPN. J-Dubs and I will be there for the Battle of the Sams. Sam Kerr versus American Yao Ming. 
Sam Lewis. Can't wait to be there. Roger, you'll preview the final in the next episode of the new Women in Blazers podcast out Thursday this week. The rest of your weekend looks like this. It starts Friday at 3 p.m. Oh. Eastern time with Southampton versus Leicester, followed immediately by our crap at 5 p.m. Then Saturday, City take on Villa at 7.30 and Burnley host Chelsea in the Shires at 12.30. Then Sunday, game of the weekend is Liverpool versus Tottenham, 12.30 p.m. Eastern kickoff on these shores because of daylight savings. What is your prophetic shot of Jägermeister telling you, Roger? Here we go. Down the hatch. Oh, this Jaeger taste of emphatic joy. Spurs will not lose. Harry Kane will refute rumours of his wanting to leave Tottenham like now with a brace. Seasonal mm. disclaimer, I am drunk. I'm not drunk, but my Jägermeister tastes of shock. I see Spurs yes. also getting a draw in this one, even without Liverpool playing Dejan Lovren. Harry Kane and Sadio Mane with the VAR confirmed goals. It's not me. <laughs> It's the slightly delusional Jägermeister, Rog. Okay, there are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Bald Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Bald Mart, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional suboptimal content. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Roger? A book! Fly Already by Edgar Carrot. A collection of short stories by a master of the genre who is, full disclosure, also an old mate of mine. His stories are truly short, tiny miniature masterpieces, just a few pages at their best. But those couple of hundred words are so human, so dark, so revealing. They're like really, really good chocolate, so rich and memorable. Oh, just enhancing all of the senses. Edgar's also bloody funny. And when he's on his game, so wise. As in any short story collection, there's a couple of duds sprinkled in there, but the majority saw, and they make you think about life's mysteries and contradictions and, and laugh at the same time. A bit like this podcast, but actually good. Rog, I'm putting my diet in there. I'm on a diet. What? I know I've got to compete with your Pilates because you're, you're just in such amazing shape. Um, I put on about 50 pounds. <laughs> it's all that heavy breathing. It makes you so hungry. <laughs> that is the danger of working out is you get so God, hungry, you eat I more. I just want a pie. Um, Pilates and pie is my new business. I've gone on the Saqqara, Rog. S-A-K-A-R-A. -A -A. Is, 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 is that a Mexican assassin diet? This is not an endorsement. This is not a paid endorsement, although we'll take you, Saqqara, if you want to come into the What, what is it first? Saqqara is a diet. They deliver food to your uh, home or to your office. Yeah, it's a racket. And it's, it's Calorie, no, it's good. It's calorie counted. It's natural. It's it's really really good. It's I need the discipline. I like being told what to eat, and I like it that it just delivers, and I don't have questions. It just says Tuesday breakfast, Tuesday lunch, Tuesday dinner. It's like very simple for me to follow. It's like Devo level. It's not complex at all, but it's really working. I feel good. I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping better, Rog then I can remember sleeping, having interesting dreams about sort of interesting things. About hunger. No, not about <laughs> hunger. I'm not dreaming about hunger at all. No, I, I'm actually not hungry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not full. <laughs> Yesterday, I ate my salad for lunch. I've said I've never, I literally licked the plastic bowl of my salad. I ate every last piece of walnut ate, and spinach. I've never eaten every last morsel of salad. Ain't too proud to lick. <laughs> that should be there. That should be there, catchphrase. But the Saqqara, go online, look it up. If you want to, if you want to drop a few LBs. Uh, yeah. Go on the Sakara, Rog. And stay off the pie diet, the Rog diet. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always <laughs> send your ravens to the crap father, so you can email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex Matombo? I like snacks. Uh, not on Sakara, you don't, Rog. Balls win, balls win. <laughs> Gloria. Balls lose. So sweet. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Dave. Love you, Roger. <laughs>